0: We spend twice as much on healthcare as we do food. It used to not, not be like that. It used to be in, completely flipped. And so if we can align incentives better, if we can make people healthier and happier through their choices of what they've decided to put into their body, we can create better outcomes. Because the way it's trending right now in the US and the Western world is not so pretty.
1: Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angelus Pezzito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. Welcome to another episode of Whisking It All. We are here today with Matt Newberg, founder of Hungry. Matt, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Of course i mean for our listeners maybe you can give a brief introduction about yourself but also
0: what is hungry sure so uh hungry is a media platform i started about four years ago is dedicated to the intersection of food and tech Um, it's part subscription media so i have kind of a blog and newsletter that comes out every week for industry insiders that covers Trends like uh, ghost kitchens, virtual brands, uh, online grocery, personalized nutrition, alternative proteins, Um, a lot of trends that are kind of pretty much at the intersection of food and tech, where technology is really upending our relationship with food Um, and things I think are gonna be really impactful uh, over the next few decades because we're at a very critical point, I believe, in our food system where a lot of things are finally getting upgraded. Um, And I also have a weekly podcast called The Feed Uh, It's on YouTube and all major audio uh, podcasting platforms and um, just started my first annual conference. Uh, We we had it last the other week and um, that aims to be kind of a multidisciplinary forum for kind of anyone working across the entire food ecosystem to kind of come together and uh, brainstorm new ideas for the future.
1: Really cool. And for those listening, just so you can check out, you know, uh, Matt, check out Hungry, the podcast, it's hngry.tv. So that's the place to, to go to check this all out. Uh, are there any other places they can go to check it out just before we jump into
0: it? No, the, the site is the best place to start. Uh, and then you can obviously cool. find it on Instagram, YouTube, major podcasting platforms. Cool. But, uh, if you you know, this is the best place to get involved with the newsletter. And it's that's the hub for everything. So thank you amazing
1: cool want to give that a shout out so people know where to, where to find you so I guess you know first thing that comes to mind is what inspires you to kind of merge uh technology with the with the food sector I guess in the in the form of what is now hungry
0: I, I it goes back uh, I think many years I think I've always been very passionate about food loved dining out when I was younger family was involved in some restaurants um and then I obviously had a tech background um you know, coming out of college, I started some my own tech startups and worked at some startups as a product manager. And so, you know, over the last, I'd say five, six years, I, or even even further back, I was kind of helping restaurants with social media that kind of expanded to um, helping restaurants, thinking, thinking about ticketing and reservations. And then, you know, I, I was trying to figure out what my role would in food would be. I wasn't like culinary trained in the culinary side. I was a tech person and started to attend more of these kind of meetups around in New York when I was was where I was living at the time, around various uh, sub-verticals within food, whether it's agriculture, alternative proteins or food delivery, and trying to figure out what my role would be and kind of I stumbled into it kind of accidentally. Uh, I was making food food porn kind of content, munchie style content. Um, and decided, you know, that that was really cr- a really crowded space, and um, right. you know, it was covering things like Detroit-style pizza and clam bars in Brooklyn. And this was like, you know, back in 2018. And I'd heard rumblings of ghost kitchens, and I was fascinated by that concept of like, what w- what would this new medium look like? Who are the players that are participating in this space? So that curiosity drove me to start. Um, well, to, to basically line up a bunch of interviews to do an episode on kind of food technology in the context of ghost kitchens and we put that documentary out in 2019 I, I had left my job at vimeo as a product manager and i decided was getting a lot of people hitting me up after that came out and decided to kind of go all in on the future of food after that and it's obviously expanded to outside of food delivery to all these other interesting uh, areas as well. Wow. That's super interesting. And you know, on
1: the topic of ghost kitchens, that is quite an interesting topic. What does the evolution of ghost kitchens look like, at least from your point of view? So when it start, you started hearing about this, and I remember I started hearing about it too, like, what is this cloud kitchen or ghost kitchen? And then to what it's become today, how, how have you seen that kind of evolve?
0: Yeah, it started, I think with like Kitchen United and cloud kitchens. I actually, if you go even further back, it started, you know, I think rebel foods is really the pioneer. Um, and they're based in, in India. And, you know, it's really expensive in India to open up a brick-and-mortar restaurant. You know, I don't care what chain you are. It's it's in, the dollar per square footage in that country is some of the highest rents. Wow, so, okay. I didn't know that. So <clears throat> they were getting a lot of QSRs to cook out of these various uh, dark kitchens and do food delivery there. And obviously, the unit economics are different in India. Um, and I think... These companies in the U.S. saw that and decided to kind of copy that model here in the U.S. And see this, they saw this rising trend of delivery on the consumer side um, that kept growing. It was one of the fastest growing, you know, categories in food. Historically, like commercial rents going up for, for retail locations. And so the narrative was, the setup was there, you know, six years ago going into this, that this might be, a way to satisfy that growing demand right? It's going to 10x over the next decade was what people were saying right. and do it in a more profitable way where you didn't have to open up a brick and mortar location. What we saw with the pandemic was that every restaurant became a ghost kitchen overnight if you think about it, because they just shuttered their dining room, right? So ghost kitchens for I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is familiar, but ghost kitchens just focus on a 200 square foot kitchen or could be slightly bigger. You don't have to worry about serving guests but as a result you don't get the foot traffic so if right. every restaurant during the pandemic is a ghost kitchen the pro the value proposition of a pure kitchen is kind of not as valuable in my opinion and then you saw rise of this idea like mr beast burger tapped into what are known as host kitchens right so a host kitchen is a brick and mortar restaurant that is not only just fulfilling its own you know brand uh, and working on its own menu. They also have secondary menus that are listed under other brands that they can fulfill using their same ingredients to do, you know, something like a Mr. Beast burger or some other concept, right? So they can add a secondary or a tertiary concept to add incremental sales. We saw that kind of breakdown with Ordermark getting acquired in a fire sale, which Ordermark and Nextbite is another company doing this. Uh, mr beast trying to now sue that company that he partnered with and everything kind of unraveled because the quality control was horrific at best and so you can't really scale food like you can software is the lesson so now we're back to this original model of a pure ghost kitchen uh, amidst uh people still you know going back to the restaurants and you know, off premise is still for some chains, for fast casual chains, it's the majority of sales, right? It's pickup and delivery. People are not consuming food on premise. So the idea of a ghost kitchen, you know, can work if you can get enough sales through those two channels. And I think where we're netting out in this is that there needs to be a strong pickup component where consumers can experience a brand and sit down there at a restaurant in some cases, but for those other occasions where they want it to go or they want it delivered, that there's going to be a a profitable way for restaurant brands to do that. And I think this is going to really be prominent for larger QSRs, uh, fast food brands, not your mom and pop. And I think I always said that if you're not doing at least a million dollars in delivery sales, this is not for you. And you pretty much need that amount of revenue in delivery with all the third party fees to just right. break even. So happy to dive into that. But you know, essentially I-, I think there was this huge boom during the pandemic and I think a lot of these companies are struggling. I think Cloud Kitchens is finding it tough to find enough tenants in for these locations that they've really expanded to. And I think, you know, Kitchen Unit has had a down round, a massive down round. And everyone's gotten obliterated in between, so uh, it's it's not so pretty. But I, I think longer term, it we're gonna see more Domino's pizza type of brands doing delivery. But there's just you can't count them on more than two hands.
1: That makes sense. That's super interesting. And I get I guess you know when I th- when I think about um, food tech and media platforms, like what would you kind of highlight that sets you know Hungry apart from maybe other um, yeah, food tech platforms.
0: Well, first off, it's just me. Um, and <laughs> because <love> this <laughs> is, Second of all, I um, I try to... Being here in LA, I think I have the advantage of being, you know, boots on the ground, trying mm-hmm. the latest concepts, uh, chasing big guys like DoorDash and Amazon and what they're doing out here. Um, yep. So uh, everything I do, I try to root in some form of reality, at, at least to my own set of eyes and so i dumpster dive i've gone undercover as a instacart shopper doordash delivery driver amazon gig worker uh you know delivering packages and what i'm trying to do is i'm just trying to get to the root of what is actually happening what is you know what do the unit economics look like on both sides we can understand what the consumer is paying but how is this all coming together from the labor side how's this Mm -hmm. all coming together um on the court on the company side just putting together all these unit unit economics to understand the potential viability and how how far off we might be
1: that makes sense and I, and I guess like how do you decide because you know obviously the, the the hospitality space is quite vast and there's a little shortage of topics but how do you decide um, which topics or trends to kind of cover in general
0: yeah I'd say it's more of an art than a science I think Okay. I started this whole thing because of, of curiosity. I think I really just try to follow my curiosity and it really just comes down to like, okay, I read a press release and then I, some something gets triggered in, inside my brain where it's like, I want to go behind the curtain. This needs more exploration. We need to test this assumption. We need to understand, is this just an isolated press release or is this something that could be potentially widespread at some point does that can it scale um can is this even real to begin with and i think that's kind of i try to vet things against like does this need more should i be pulling on this thread more is this something that could potentially be game changer because ultimately i just find myself trying to navigate this very uncertain future of, of our food system and i'm trying to understand what might become really popular with consumers over the next decade or so Mm -hmm. and uh, um it's really just kind of stems from that and it's not necessarily me trying to to pick winners and losers or or anything it just really comes out of me trying to go down a rabbit hole to determine whether something is gonna be big i think putting myself in a position where it's like trying to bet on the future is is next to impossible i think all i can do really do is shine a light on what that potential future might be if these assumptions lined up
1: that makes sense and it's funny because you touched on like the idea of like curiosity and i think a lot of people could lean more into it because it's one thing i learned is some not always but sometimes things that for whatever reason you know sometimes you can't even explain it but you become curious about there's a good chance like There'll be other people that are also curious about that. And so I do think that there's a theme there. Not always, maybe maybe it's a one-off and someone's curious about something, but in general, there's something there. And it's something that I think on the content side, I chat I chatted with this with some other guests too, but in terms of you know telling your story and doing content creation and and, and whatnot, one of the lessons I, I think I learned was like sometimes lean into the curiosity, even if it's not super obvious why but there's a good chance that there's something there. So I just wanted to kind of shine a light on that real quick. Cause there's, yeah. you know, people listening that might sometimes be like, ah, this is, I'm I'm interested in this, but no one else probably is like, no, there's, there's yeah. a good chance someone else is, so lean into it, you know?
0: Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is like, if, if I don't get out of my house and get, get moving, whether it's like, like, you know, yesterday, I like convinced myself to drive 45 minutes to the other side of town to go check out this convenience store. For the second time, just because I was just like, is this is this going to be something that is an interesting model? Is there something here say I don't really but I ended up on another random goose chase around something completely different tangentially <laughs> and also stumbled into a new farmers market as a result. So it's like I never know where I'm going to end up. All I know, is it's going to be a fun ride. And that's awesome. what I set out to what I set out to do will never necessarily lead to what I expect, and that's kind of the joy of it, and why I think I can continue to wake up and figure out where I'm gonna where I'm gonna go next, what I'm gonna do next, what I'm gonna write about next. Um, even though sometimes it's like it's it's not easy, right? It's not easy to right. have so much pressure to like come up with a great story every week, and the things that right. you think are gonna be great stories end up being like totally duds or maybe they end up closing shutting down or running out of capital or whatever and uh the real the real i think key for me is just to stay interested in the space and be mm. willing to just accept the process and enjoy the process of like in the fun of of uncovering something new and so you know I, love that. I don't know exactly where i'm going but i know like this is a starting point
1: yeah yeah i love that and, and it's that theme like I was having this conversation with someone about like sometimes you just need to take that next step. Like you might not know where you're going, but you take one step and now you see different options you didn't see when you were yeah. one step behind. So it's like something, and you kind of mentioned it, right? You're going one place, then you saw the farmer's market. Saw this. So it's like sometimes action is required, and just take that action yeah. because you don't know what you don't know, and those things kind of get unlocked when you just start moving. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. But I think I think to your point, that curiosity, taking that action, and Another big piece, at least from from what I've seen and conversations that I've had, is just that consistency piece, right? Like you're producing content. It sounds like weekly, right? The newsletter side, but even beyond that, you're producing a ton of content. So just being consistent in itself is um, really a skill and something that that uh, yeah, I think is required if you wanna if you wanna be in this game, you know. Period. And then I guess one thing that comes to mind is how do you, see, you know, being so involved in, in obviously the, the the restaurant scene and the technology scene, how do you see technology? And this might be a loaded question, but how do you see technology reshaping the food industry? And maybe you can give some examples of, you know, you mentioned ghost kitchens, but things you've been seeing over the years and where you think think things are heading.
0: That's a very big question. I think uh, just looking at restaurants, there's you know a lot within the four walls of, well, well I think. Turning restaurants into like direct-to-consumer businesses, their brands. You know, people love these brands. Technology can really help them drive more profitability with within and outside of the four walls. You know, I think um, chefs are the new rock stars, and we, and the same enthusiasm people have for other things like mu- music and other forms of entertainment very much applied to this space. And we're only starting to be begin to see models break down those walls you know different types of memberships to to this community so to speak or you know various merchandise right like fashion brands that are tied to restaurants and um you know i just blackbird labs comes to mind because i just had ben leventhal speak at my conference last week and he was talking about kind of these opportunities for you know new customer acquisition and retention that restaurants previously didn't have access to because they've been really, that's really been owned by third party gatekeepers. If you think about it, your reservations data, of who's coming into your four walls has really been kind of gatekeep by some open table or another reservation company. Um, And then the third party delivery companies and the POS companies and all these intermediaries we've seen come in between the restaurant the customer over the years it used to be that you walked into a restaurant you paid cash that was a direct transaction but i think if you think about restaurants like actual econ like modern businesses they should know exactly the lifetime value of all of their customers and the habits and preferences of all of them and be able to target specific deals for them and incentivize them to come back and there should be the same way we have coalition loyalty loyalty programs for airlines and hotels and the entire travel industry and, and how fungible those points are between these different ecosystems, you know. look at like various airlines and their alliances, right? We should have that for the long tail of restaurants. You go to Sweetgreen, you go to Chipotle, you go to Starbucks, all those points just stay in those wallets, right? There's no unified currency that you can exchange these things for different points at different places. So they're trying to build, you know, as one example to your, I could sit here for hours and we could go into everything, but for yes. the restaurant side, um, imagine having that unlocked for the long tail of restaurants. Um, you know, there's so many things being done in the back of house, ingredients costing, you know, yes. the amount of inflation that restaurants have experienced, you know, on the cost side of, of, of their food is insane. And... A lot of times they just can't keep up with the menu, you know, on on the menu side to increase those prices and understand where those gaps are and what the margins are of all these different items. And so I think, you know, some form of dynamic pricing and monitoring your, your inventory and the cost of that inventory and bringing more transparency to the wholesale industry. That's going to be a huge lever to unlock profitability for restaurants. Moving beyond restaurants, though, like, I'm very excited about personalized nutrition, which is the confluence of pretty much everything. It's restaurant, grocery, wearables, healthcare, and looking and saying, we spend twice as much on healthcare as we do food. It used to not, not be like that, it used to be in, completely flipped. Mm. And so if we can align incentives better, if we can make people healthier and happier through their choices of what they've decided to put into their body, we can create better outcomes because the way it's trending right now in the U.S. and the Western world is not so pretty. And that's obviously really tough. You have things like Ozempic that are looking to try to be quick fixes to that. But I think this is really going to start with each and every one of us taking the right actions to behaviorally to put, you know, treat our bodies better and, you know, maybe gamify that in some way because we're able to see what foods are doing to our bodies in the same way that we can understand when our cars are broken down, what's going on inside their car. We have more visibility into our cars than we do our bodies. So I'll stop right there, but we can go into any answer. This was...
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was great. I mean, there's so so many thoughts going through my head. I mean, I mean right away one one quick thought, but this is just on the wearable side. I, I used to use uh, for about a year. I used the the Whoop bands, and um, now I feel like I know my body, so I stopped wearing it. But it was for a full year. Like I I really got to understand like my sleep to a certain extent. I've, definitely underestimated how much even just one drink would mess up my next day you know yeah. you figure one beer what's the big deal like and I, now it's almost like I really cut drinking unless I'm going to a wedding or something but like really like I barely drink now uh, just because it's not worth it you know that one beer yeah. ruins my sleep my recovery shit like and it's kind of like this <laughs> domino effect so it's fu- it's funny and to your point I, the last I'd say two years I started taking my health more seriously and just tracking I would say so like taking the right supplements I did a, you know some blood tests and and dna stuff to see like where where am i lacking what kind of and and it's crazy how much when you start it, Looking, I started looking at my body almost as I look at my company, right? Like I I look at Whisk, and it's we're measuring KPIs and how sales performance and marketing and product development and it's you know support tickets and and you look at all these things, CSAT scores, churn rates, right? Whatever it is, but then your body just like meh, you know. And so I started looking at my body kind of like that, like why am I tired? What can I do? Let me try this. Let me try you know mouth tape. Let me try like just try (laughs) experiments and I noticed the, the last, yeah, it's. It's awesome, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah, that's I'm a big fan as well. Um, I, I had to combine it with like a nose strip because like just the mouth tape, I was like, I was still not breathing great with, with you know, the, the air coming through my nose, but with the nose strip did the trick. Uh, mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, you start kind of adding all these little things and they, they really do compound. Uh, so for me, that was a, a big thing. So I'd love to, you know, just touch on that on your end. What are some things mm-hmm. I think this could be interesting for people listening? What are some things that you maybe did in your personal life that have had some pretty positive effects?
0: Some people think you're a biohacker or some sort of weirdo for doing it, but I'm very, I'm very much leaned into routine, especially living in LA, which is kind of like a hotbed of health and wellness. So, um, you know, on the food side, I've done a lot of gut tests and CGM tracking. Uh, so CGMs, for those who don't know, are continuous glucose monitors. They are fairly invasive at this point, but Apple is working to make them non-invasive. But essentially it's a small little wire that goes into your skin. You scan your phone against it every few hours and you log kind of what foods you're eating and it starts to drive kind of correlations between various foods and what that does to your blood sugar. And oh, wow you start to understand what foods are going to cause that those spikes that give you those crashes that make you feel like you need a cup of coffee in the middle of the day and that lack of energy so i think i've become more cognizant of of that and look i'm a pretty gluttonous person i don't like to make a lot of sacrifices when it comes to what i eat i think i've just i haven't really been i've I, instead of sacrificing the foods i've tra- kind of changed the sequencing of things or just changed how when i eat them so like during the like if i try not to eat carbs uh or at least refined carbs in the middle of the day so that i don't i don't crash and if i am gonna have carbs i try to at least have some fiber first because if you actually consume fiber like fibrous vegetables first it'll temper the glucose response. Um, Other things are like going for a walk after your meal will help temper the response. Exercise has a big impact on it. So CGM is just one vector of, and that's obviously tied to metabolic health. It's a very very core pillar, right? If we just continue shoveling, you know, foods that are into our bodies that are gonna make our blood sugar continuously spike and we become insulin resistant, meaning, Like, we can't uh, create enough insulin to shuttle this glucose to the parts of our bodies that needs it. uh, Everything starts to break down. The other thing I've done is uh, gut tests to look at the kind of the bacteria. And this is something that I think needs a lot more research and a lot more funding behind. Uh, So our gut microbiomes are tied to everything from our skin to our mood and pretty much like every metabolic function. And... Uh, we have more foreign bacteria cells in our body than we do ancestral DNA just so that basically means that you can actually change you know we're not doomed based on our DNA Mm. Um, we can we can have control over over the you know our health through what we put into our bodies and and how that expresses itself as far as our gut bacteria. Um, so I, I, have done some of these tests where, you know, you s- submit a stool sample again, very invasive, uh, and not for everybody. <laughs> and it <laughs> comes back and basically tells you, you know, the composition of your gut, which is interesting. Um, um you know, you should be eating more o- foods with more omega threes and you get on the phone with a microbiologist who tells you, you know, where you can be getting more sources of various, uh. You know various macronutrients through through your diet or supplement some. You know you you can also take custom probiotics. I'm not a fan of one size fits all probiotics like Seed Health. I, I think they're doing a lot of harm to the industry. But I think changing it through through diet and through custom probiotics potentially there's still not enough evidence on those. You know can help. Um, Interesting. And but yeah, I can talk about more things. I've done right now. I'm, I'm wearing this Ultra Human band. This is a sleep tracker, but it's also going to, it's starting to work with uh, glucose monitors and kind of being a hub and tracking everything from, you know, your heart rate vari- variability during exercise and telling you when to stop drinking caffeine based on various uh, adenosine oh, wow. windows and, um, you know, kind of nudging you to take specific actions throughout the day. It's not, you know, so much about food per se, but it's also, it's very behavioral. Um, Interesting.
1: What, and what's it called again? Because yeah. I'm a sucker for gadgets. I used to have the Whoop. I was looking at the order ring mm-hmm. That's what's that one right. called? I'm going to do a little it's research. It's called Ultra
0: Human. I, I like it more Ultra than human. than the other ones you mentioned because it's a one-time thing. Uh, you don't have to pay yeah. monthly yeah. for it and monthly. they are going to continue okay. making it better. And it's, in, it's okay. incredibly lightweight. So I kind of forget okay. about it uh, most of the time. That's awesome
1: that's super cool to hear and, and it's funny when I think if I if I would kind of rate my I guess top three things that have worked for me I am not giving you know health advice I'm just saying look I'm a red you know average dude running tech company just do my thing and I tried a few things or I do many things but the few that have had a pretty big impact one is is mouth tape so big fan of that so uh mm-hmm. tape in my mouth that night and and for me it was bad I used to wake up with like my, 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 my tongue was like sandpaper basically you know so mm. that was a big one for me um so that that, that one I, I can't recommend enough again from personal experience uh so try it maybe it won't work for you another one that worked a lot it's so simple but just walking every morning um and mm. i don't know if it's more for the walking or more for the sunlight but like just yeah, of get, get your morning, sun sunlight. Every morning a 20 minute walk yeah that one that one was like a big one because and that was one of the ones going back to what we said about like taking that first step it's like that morning walk unlocks so many things. It was like after doing that right. for like thirty days, it's like I started going to the gym again. I started so that's one that I think will lead to what I like to call an upward spiral. Like you know, you do that and then mm. you start doing other good habits. So I
0: like that, that was probably
1: a second one. Yeah, that one was a really neat one. And the third one that was pretty good, uh, but it was so it was so simple. Was like I just um, uh, mineralized my coffee. So I drink coffee in the morning. So just like I use. Alright, I don't actually do it. I just buy coffee that is mineralized by, by one of the biohackers, Dave Asprey there, I think it's called Danger Coffee. And mm-hmm. it's been pretty good. So those are like three that like stand out to me. There's a million and one things. Like, I, you know, I'm lucky at our gym. We have an ice bath. So I do that every morning. I won't lie. That's oh, wow. a great way to wake up <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah. feel good. But uh, so that one, that one has been actually great just for mentally. I'm sure there's a bunch of physical, like you see so many yeah. Instagram posts about it. But that one, I'm lucky. If I didn't have it, I probably wouldn't do it every day. But because it's at our kind of... You know comp, condo gym it's a uh, mm-hmm. it's something I, i've been able to take advantage of but anyways i just wanted to share those for people listening i know Very that's kind of an but I, yeah it's been huge it's been uh it's been really interesting to see how it, it can kind of set the pace for the day and really just mm-hmm. um yeah i mean, a ton of other benefits but Do you super have Nima.
0: an I- asana there too
1: yeah, so I do that too. I do the sauna too, yeah. which has been great. Yeah. um Actually, question for you because I feel like you might know this: is it better to do sauna and then ice bath, or ice bath then sauna, or does it matter? I was uh, trying to figure uh, out. Yeah, like, you need what to ask other experts better. about this.
0: Okay. I, I'm okay, not, okay, I'm certainly not one, and now we're we're going beyond my pay grade. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, no the ones I've done no start with this. I mean, I think naturally, like heating yourself up, then getting in there. And then, I guess you could work That's out right. and then do the ice bath and then finish there. The only, the, the only papers that I've really like for studies I've seen, I've really been around sauna. It's not so much about the, the... cold, cold uh, ice plunge, but right. Um, you know, there's a lot of evidence around frequent use of the sauna above a certain temperature, uh, for a certain extent, uh, amount of time per week that can really unlock, uh, you know, incremental health span. So I think it's like, how do we we, in in Western society, we've been able to unlock a lot of great medical advances around extending our lifespan, but it's not increasing the, you know, healthy years. It's, we can prolong, we can like, (laughs) we can push back our, you know, death, but we're not necessarily good at like having better quality, a longer quality of life. And so, Peter i'm reading his book on longevity it's very dense but he's really talking about improving health span and a lot of other people uh dr mark hyman are really advocating for like this idea of a hundred really high quality years and working backwards seeing where you are right now to make sure that you're on track to maintain enough muscle mass so you can do the types of activities with your grandchildren your great-grandchildren god willing you know yeah. those sort of things um so that when you are in those in those you know older you, when you're at that age where yeah you know <laughs> you're, you're not just uh sitting down and you can't do anything you know you could yeah, yeah, carry yeah. some groceries walk upstairs maybe hold a baby that, that sort of sense. thing
1: <laughs> i love that i love that that was a great tangent by the way so for people listening i think a ton of fun health I don't want to say advice because none of us are health experts, but definitely, uh, definitely some at least tips that have potentially worked for us individually. Um, you know, getting back to the kind of the restaurant tech side real quick, I, you know, I always joke around that like the coolest thing that happened on the tech side, you know, 20 years ago was like open table. And, and that's not a knock, like in a positive way, you know, it's like, cool, you can now reserve online. And then after reserving online, it was maybe like, cool. Now your POS can be on a tablet. Right. And, um, after that, you know, nat and I feel like those, you know, it was very, hospitality was always like the last one to the party kind of thing for when it came to adopting yeah. technology. I feel like the last probably five years, maybe more, but really the last kind of five years, like things have really accelerated, right? Whether it's third party ordering, pickup stuff, just kind of uh, predictive stuff, back a house, like whisk, you know, inventory management, whatever. It's been kind of accelerating. What do you, what do you think the reason is? Like, why is why do you think the restaurants are becoming more, I think, open to technology when historically they're all, they've always been kind of like the last ones to the party?
0: I think it was really the pandemic woke everyone up to this idea that your customers are you know, everywhere, right? They're not just coming into the store. They're looking for you online. When you had, you know, open table and, be, and the ability to book tables online, you had to like marry that with some content. Uh, restaurants have to be able to tell their story directly to consumers that's really was unlocked by social media blogs like eater uh kind of away from like the old guard of pete, waiting for a pete wells review like how how long are you going to sit on your hands and wait for michelin to come into your restaurant and put you on their guide and then right. they might crap all over your restaurant and so really it's <laughs> like putting giving restaurants the tools to manage their reviews their presences on Google Mm. places, their Google Maps and, you know, all these different platforms are now in the palm of the consumer, right? Through our mobile phones and with us every second. Right. You know, people are going to research restaurants before they go So, brand, you know, restaurants as, you know, the most, some of the most popular brands in the world right now need to have a responsibility to own that story and control how they show up on all these platforms, right?
1: Yeah, we're just talking about kind of like the future of tech in in in, um, in the restaurant space or the hospitality space and how it's kind of been like very slow, right? Like for like 10 years. Oh, it was yeah, like yeah. you can reserve online and you right. know now it's led to like right. everything. Right, but, right, right. You
0: know? <laughs> so so now that restaurants have control over how they show up in all these places, like I think ev- what was even like a bigger wake up call was the pandemic when you had people now instead of like discovering you online and then coming into your restaurant they couldn't come to your restaurant so you had to like offer curbside per- pickup or delivery and so I think that caught right. a lot of restaurants uh, you know they, they had their guard down and it, it caught them off guard and so now they, the pandemic woke them up to delivery and then you had the subsequent inflation of labor that gives you a, you know makes you start to think about automation or, you know, not just replacing right. staff, but augmenting staff with various processes and other technologies. It's not so cut and dry. And then you start to think about right. other opportunities on the cost side, the stuff you're doing with inventory and just understanding how your invoices are going out, and tracking the cost of all your ingredients and how you're pr- pricing things. and. You know i don't know i think there's going to be a, a threshold of how much the consumer will bear but i think the real magic is really yeah. understanding how to create that magical experience that the consumer is always used to but deliver it in a more right. profitable way and i think you know if technology is not doing that it doesn't deserve to be in the four walls so i think now we're at the point where you know there was a lot of hype a lot of capital low interest rates and now it's yeah. like back to reality what is actually right. going to move the needle here, and um, right. that's that's kind of why I'm so I'm excited about the space is just try to find what is going to be what should people be paying attention to when it comes to you know, all, the, the myriad of things that they could be implementing. What are going to be the most impactful things?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And what we've seen is or what I'm at least observing in the space is just a lot more consolidation because there's so many tools out there and a lot of them, to your point, are, are, are here to help restaurants, whether it's backhouse, front of house, marketing, you know, robotics, like you've met with the reservations, you name it loyalty. There's a lot. But at the same time, you can understand that a restaurant or, or, or bar or hotel, or whatever doesn't want to have 22 apps, right? So it's kind of like this. We're seeing more and more consolidation, but ultimately, you know, at WISC, our mission was always, how do we give restaurateurs their time back? So as much as we're like, we, you know, focus on inventory and invoice management and costing and all that kind of, you know, granular, boring stuff that the operator needs to do, the goal or the mission was like, how do we just give them their time back to do what they want? And I think mm-hmm. that's like what a lot of companies are trying to do with the, with different angles, whether it might be on the labor side, on the cost of goods side, mm-hmm. on the loyalty side. And we'll, I, I think the future will be interesting to see where these kind of come together and then um even just thinking about like the uh, like you said the kind of more advanced automation side and people always think just pure robots but i think there's a lot of in between um and a lot of nuance between you know full-on robots and just what can we automate because there's so much staff shortage and We can maybe like leverage less people with the help of robotics, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think automation can apply, you know, Starbucks is looking at ways of just more efficiently brewing coffee with like less man hours or, you know, they're looking at, or, or even just like a way, the way you... Cook your proteins in a particular convection oven is a form of automation, mm. right? It's not so bi- black and right. white. It doesn't need to be sweet green level investment of an entire, <laughs> ma- you know, automated line yeah. that's gonna, you know, reduce it your your staff from your kitchen staff to two people or something like that. It's right, 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 right. It's uh, there's there's a, a gradient of things you can do, and automation has been happening slowly. It's just. Uh, and just same way like technology yeah pen and paper is a te- technology just not great technology but you know <laughs> we can do better now so um, paying attention yeah. to all the things uh, you know in between
1: that's that's awesome and just to shift gear I'd love to you know one of the things I'd like to always shed light on, the, on this episode on this show I should say is um, the kind of founder story behind it so we interview you know hospitality specialists or people in the space or even just restaurant tech companies and just understanding their story so like You know, real quick, I'd love to hear kind of like how you went about building. It's not easy what you're doing. You're building kind of a niche subscription media platform. What are some challenges that you face in the early days that you might maybe be able to share with our guests?
0: I, I mean, I've started things in the past and I think my advice to any founder is always like build a company in spite of itself. So it was always like a happy accident. I think are always the better can can lead to better outcomes than trying to force something so I, don't know, I kind of just started testing the waters by publishing on medium because i w- which was kind of a mistake and i'll explain why but i think i was just pu- yeah. basically p- publishing letting them handle the audience side and just trying to sharpen my 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 writing skills by doing that and getting into that weekly right. cadence and building those habits and eventually i was able to transition from medium to my own platform and then launch a subscription which um, i was able to do but if i'd done it again i think i would have just started a free blog forget about the network maybe copy and paste it over to medium but really it's the same problem that restaurants face with third-party delivery third-party delivery right can be great because it gives you incremental sales but if you're not careful to drive people back to your own ordering channel, you're going to continue paying a tax every time that they order on those platforms. Same thing goes with mediates. You're relying on someone else's audience uh, to read your content and you're not owning that email address of that person. They're not signing up Mm. to your newsletter, whatever you're driving them to, It's, it's tough. So I was lucky that I had a MailChimp audience that I'd built from the medium then like turning off the medium and saying, hey, go, you can only read it on this paywall site. was not easy, but I was able to do it. And my timing was, I think, pretty good because it was right during, in the height of the pandemic in the fall of 2020. So everybody was into restaurant tech. Mm. Um, But as we've seen, you know, the cycles um, apply to restaurant tech as much as they apply to anything crypto, uh, any high flying kind of tech vertical. So there's definitely like right. a mass influx, and then definitely an exodus of people, uh, either running out of capital or just disinterested in the space. Who you know re- write it off, um, and so now we're we're left with like the OGs, and so you know it's just to me, it's uh, thinking about growth is really challenging. I haven't spent a dollar on marketing. I think that's an opportunity. I think you know trying to tap into corporates to maybe offer them other services beyond just like my core offering for everyday subscribers is a huge opportunity right um it's definitely a challenge to figure out okay what what is the most impactful thing i should be focusing on and what do i really want to do i know that i don't want to let my foot off the gas and start consulting i know that i want to productize as much as many things as i can possibly do i know i want to get as much leverage out of my time so that When I do find the right opportunities of things to be covering, then I'm like 100% focused and I'm not scatterbrained. So how can I tap into these other audiences, um, but also have it all point to in the same direction where it's all fueling off the same amount of work and I can get the most leverage. And I think that that's like the biggest challenge is just how do you get the most leverage for what you do? It doesn't matter if, if a thousand people or 10 people read what I write, it's the same amount of work. So how do I get those incremental people to to pay money to read those things and share it?
1: That makes sense. And so and so where do you see kind of the future for you when it comes to hungry? Right. So it's like you you brought fit in house. You went from medium to everything in house consistency growing the brand starting you know obviously building community what's what's kind of next for you or, or are you still kind of in the experiment, experimentation phase like what, where would you like to see hungry i guess and then next year two years uh, and i'm sorry i forgot to mention and you started a conference that's pretty that's pretty cool so we could probably chat about that too but okay. where, where, where do you want to see you know hungry heading
0: yeah, again, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know, I know my role and I think my role as a facilitator. I think I get the most, I see the most value being created by kind of getting out of the way. So, uh, it's really around the community online and also offline through this conference, creating content that ho- hopefully like sparks some, something from people to apply to their business or invest into something or, or, or just remain curious and, and keep an eye on it so I just I want to be a facilitator of that through through the various products I offer so through the through the newsletter you know it's, it's really about exposing the people who have the power to make these big decisions to explore new topics and new ideas um, building an online community of people who are multidisciplinary who can help each other you know expose each other to different opinions and different not necessarily opinions but just perspectives really different angles of food because i think we we realize we can't just build the tech without understanding how it actually applies in the real world i think that's been the kind of a fatal mistake of technologists across any vertical and then you know the conference really being kind of like the most rich offline experience that obviously not everyone is going to be able to experience right it's a very much smaller funnel but it's probably for me the most rewarding because to see people go into breakout sessions and talk about a gnarly topic like food is medicine or, you know, look at food waste or what is the future of automation and food service. You know, these are topics that we could spend like, you know, long, long periods of time on. And we have like an hour to sit down and and bring different people to the table. So I really enjoy doing that. I think that's probably my, the the thing I can offer people in the industry the most, like my offering is the, to be a facilitator uh, by, kind of spanning that. all these different verticals and really tapping into like, what is the cutting edge? What is the innovation there?
1: I love that. And and then can you just quickly touch on, the 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 details around the conference? Because you know I know this was the first one was here, but to our listeners we have like over twenty thousand you know uh, uh, subscribers and. Most of them are in the hospitality space. So like, sounds quite interesting. I'd love for you to maybe just plug, do a little plug on what the conference is about, how they can attend, when's the next one next year, and just any details you can share.
0: Thank you, yeah, so I can tell you what happened and still trying to figure out what's gonna happen next year, but yeah, so we had- Okay. You know, uh, a a small but very influential group, of you know, about 70 food industry innovators joined me uh, last two Fridays ago. Here in L.A., we had uh, a bunch of fireside chats with some leaders in the food food space across various categories that I was interested in. So we had uh, you know, Ben Leventhal, who is the founder of Resident Eater, who's now doing uh, Web3 loyalty with Blackbird Labs, talking about kind of what we were talking about earlier around understanding who's actually in your dining room, incentivizing them with this new currency, turning brands into, you know, restaurants into these omni-channel brands that are beloved by everybody. The, we, we had Sam Polk, the founder of every table, uh, come and talk about food access, a lot of government policy around snap and EBT and how that kind of shakes out in grocery and prepared foods and kind of how you can bring the cost down on, on, on food like fresh wholesome food nutritious food to make it more accessible to people who need it the most it's really interesting conversation kind of around like undoing a lot of the industrialized harm i think that we uh, inadvertently like basically created by making our products last longer on shelves and making them cheaper just using a lot of those centralized kind of frameworks but doing it more with perishable food we had um co-founder of anytime spritz which is a new farm to can regeneratively sourced um low abv ready to drink cocktail brand that's a about mouthful it. but we were talking a lot about yeah. incentives at the agricultural level how to get farmers uh, growing you know basically putting more in, back into the soil and the, the health of the soil than they are taking away from it and the kind of the economic incentives of the farm bill from the usda and kind of that whole mess and then the last speaker we had was um, one of the partners of Dom Food Group which is a incubator behind Goop Kitchen Chrissy Teigen CPG line called Cravings Cash, Mm. uh, Pistachio Milk and a few other things Uh, they also invest in the space so we're talking about like a winning model for ghost kitchens and virtual brands in this time where a lot have failed they've actually created an insane business out of that and talking about other opportunities in grocery so definitely very restaurant heavy but trying to be cover the entire food ecosystem we also had nice. five different breakout sessions uh, cocktail hour lunch breakfast so plenty of tried to make it more networking and collaborative than than you know didactic or just like listening to some two people talking heads speak on stage <laughs> Right, right. So next year, we're going to definitely do it. I think it'll, it'll probably be in the fall, um, okay. probably around when I did it this year in October, uh, kind of the sweet spot between Labor Day and Thanksgiving when everyone gets very busy, so trying to squeeze that <laughs> in. And I think we'll try to, you know, have more operators and like price the tickets lower for, for operators of CPG brands and restaurant brands that want to tap into this innovation. Um, have more corporates there who want to understand where the future is. And then obviously Mm. I have a very core loyal group of startup founders and entrepreneurs um, and people working at these various companies that are already making these changes. So just trying to grow that as well. But I think we need people on those other ends of the spectrum to also attend as well. Um, So just double down on that and yeah, hope to see you next year. If you want to stay in touch, definitely sign. If you want to hear about the next one, Definitely um, sign up for the the free weekly newsletter. Uh, it's on Absolutely. my website, hungry.tv, H-N-G-R-Y.
1: Perfect, so H-N-G-R-Y.tv, sign up to the newsletter. You can count me on that. And honestly, I was actually gonna ask, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in attending next year. So we'll definitely keep in touch and, and hopefully uh, make that happen because it sounds like a, a great conference. And I guess maybe just to, to, to wrap up, um, so people can subscribe on hungry.tv, newsletter i know you got tons of tons of content there blog articles videos you name it uh wealth of knowledge so really i encourage our listeners to check it out and we'll also do a shout out in our rx newsletters and 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 link it up so they can find it um but any last thoughts or messages that you'd want to share with with our audience today um you know the 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 floor is yours anything you want to share before we wrap up
0: everything that you're seeing and try to try to do some work to validate it um, and have an an opinion. I think a lot of things get overhyped, and then a lot of things get discredited that warrant more investigation. Um, I think we're seeing alt-protein get bashed a lot. I think a lot of it is warranted, but there's also an interesting story there, and obviously there's going to be continued investment, but I, I look for things where People, you know things are getting written off, and people might be underlooking certain things, and I think that's where a lot of big opportunities are. So I just urge everyone to keep to maintain your own unique point of view, and if you're an operator, pilot something, test it out, start small, and if you're a tech company working in this space, you know, try to understand your customer. Don't think that you've had you have it all figured out. I just think it's it's about everyone coming together to figure out what's going to work for all these different constituents and to kind of forge a path that's going to be better for for everyone and I think it's very possible for us to create you know new innovations new products that are going to be better for our, our health of our planet and ourselves and and I think they're going to be great businesses as well so I think it's entirely possible and I, I hope that, the companies that are innovating the most get rewarded for that, and that uh, consumers really vote with their dollar. Uh, so if you're just a consumer, you know, pay attention to where your dollar is going when you're making that weekly stock up. It make sure you're supporting the right brands that are putting the right things on the labels that have the right practices that are aligned with your values. And I think it just it just it's on everyone to kind of play their role there. Beautifully said. Thank you for that. So, once again, we
1: have Matt Newberg, founder of Hungry, H N G R Y. TV. So, you can go to that website, check it out, check out his newsletter. Matt, thank you so much for being on the Whisking It All episode. We really appreciate you being here today.
0: No, thank you. Appreciate the time. Amazing. Feel free to check out whisk.ai
1: for more resources and schedule a demo with one of our product specialists to see if it's a fit for you.